0: Last week, Alistair McGrath came by Dallas and had a great conversation. And a lot of the conversation was based around what makes the Oxford system special. And in his mind, it is the college system that engenders a, an ability to have conversations that disagree. And then you have to come back and eat with these people. You have to come back and eat with these people in college over dinner and find ways of agreeing to disagree and engage in robust, sharpening conversations.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pastor Theologians Show. Today, our guest is Nick Ellis, who is the CEO of GDI Global. Uh, We'll hear a little bit more about that. We're going to be talking with Nick about global theological education. Let's get right into the conversation.
2: Nick, welcome to the podcast great to be here, Todd. Great to have you on the show, man. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm really excited to talk with you uh, about your not only your current work, which I know our listeners are going to be excited to hear about, but you're, you've got a fascinating arc to your life. And uh, you grew up as a missionary kid. Uh, you did doctoral studies at Oxford University. You've been all around the world. Uh, you've got a... a as strong an entrepreneurial verve as any academic person I've ever met, so you know you're, you're just a a, uh, a unique individual who's got a great great story, and so thrilled to have you on the show today. And you're you're a CPT fellow, and count you as a friend. So it's it's a privilege to have you.
0: Yeah, it's great to be here, and especially at the CPT, Center for best theologian in this podcast. I mean, so much of what I do is in danger of being uh, unrooted from mm. the church mm-hmm. and to really ground what we're doing under the authority of the church, especially yeah. the local church is really the heartbeat of, of both the need and uh, what we're trying to accomplish. And so marvelous. to be part of C- CPT is just uh, just a marvelous uh, honor. That's and great. I'm glad to be on this podcast.
2: That's great. I think we first met, Nick. Um, I'd heard of you and known of you because you worked with Marcus Bachmull, who... Uh, I connected with when I was a student at Cambridge, so I, I think I heard of you that way. And we have some mutual friends, and our our mutual friend Jay Thomas, of course. But was at the Bible Mesh booth at an ETS meeting a number of years ago when you were working with Bible Mesh at the time, and and uh, just enjoyed connecting with you there. And and it's been fun to keep the friendship going. Tell us a little bit about your um, your background and story of faith. And um, you grew up you grew up as a missionary kid.
0: Yep, that's right. Right, I grew up in Brazil. Um, my family is a is an interesting mixture of of, uh, of both academic and also uh, rural seedbed Christianity. Huh. And so, unpack that for us. Well, on the one hand, my dad's side is very academic. My my grandfather was uh, uh, a microbiologist, professor of microbiology at the University of Nebraska. Oh. Which already you begin to feel a little bit of okay. University of Nebraska, what are you going to do there at the university? Well, frankly, there's a lot of kind of engineering and rural design and oh, wow, ag yes. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so you see this kind of combination of rural and, and, and intellectual. Interesting. And that really has driven a lot. My mom's side is an uh, Anabaptist, Mennonite, slash Hutterite community wow. from uh, uh, Southern uh, Southern Canada, Southern Alberta and Montana. And at the same time have, uh, kind of inhabited a, a seedbed Christianity of faithfulness for, you know, since 1550, 1560. Um, and so very much mm-hmm. kind of have been, have been given this gift of, um, the Anabaptist hidden, uh, no will to power, mm. uh, none of that kind of stuff, but, a tradition that has longevity and legs, and and yeah, uh, kind of ongoing, multi generational faithfulness, and so combine that with kind of high end academics, and you begin to say, well, how do you how do you bring in yeah, both, is. you know, kind of very humble roots, and also how do we go and talk in the public square yeah. you know, about these kind of things, and so that is very much driven a lot of what I do. Uh, how do we, it's given me a passion for uh, the rural environment, for uh-huh. unreached uh-huh. areas, both yep. domestically and internationally. Uh-huh. Um, and also we want to be excellent at what we're doing. Uh-huh. And so um, that, that uh, has very much embodied what we did when we went to Brazil, rural Amazonian North Brazil. If you know anything about Brazil, <laughs> wow. the South is very European. It's very urban, very well-educated. We ended up in the far North of Brazil uh, starting small technical training institutes wow. and churches and those kind of things. You know,
2: were you born in Brazil? Nick? I was
0: born in Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay, Link, you were born Lincoln, in Lincoln. Nebraska. Yeah. My dad ended up down da- in Dallas, Texas doing a, a PhD at Dallas Seminary, and from there we went to Brazil. Amazing. So uh, Amazing. kind of span. that. How old were you then? I was uh, I was 12 years old. I okay. moved down there. Came oh, wow. back from university. Amazing. Yeah. You speak Portuguese? I do, and we're actually moving to Brazil, back to Brazil after twenty years absence. Wow, we we'll have to get to uh, that, and we're in a we're, bit, gonna, but no we're kidding. gonna move back to Brazil. Wow, which is
2: and very how much of your
0: family is still there? My mom and dad, mom my and dad. mom and dad are still there. Yeah.
2: Amazing, amazing. Talk to us about faith. How was your faith journey growing up in a missionary? as a missionary kid and, or at least as a, you know, coming of age as a, on the missions field and was faith easy to come by therefore yeah, or tricky yeah. or difficult or talk to us about that journey. I
0: mean, I, I was blessed with a, uh, a, a long-term multi-generational understanding of what does it mean to be part of God's kingdom in this earth? Mm. Um, uh, my, my uh, grandmother is the oldest of 13. Um, uh, Mennonite family from mm. Alberta, and I remember my great grandfather. Of course, you can imagine uh, all those kids having at least eight, having at least five. So we're sitting with about four hundred grandkids, you know, <laughs> in that space. It's and I, I remember the last time I saw him, he just said to me, "You know, I, I my, my, my dear son, I, I love you. Um, I don't know you. Oh, sorry. but I love you. Wow. Do not abandon the faith. Wow." And so there's, it's rooted and grounded in both individual understandings of personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, but also identity, um, multi generational identity, social identity, uh, ecclesiological identity, and so that was very much the the glue that kind of kept us in. You know, you can choose to to abandon this. You can. You can choose to abandon this, but the stakes but,
2: are high, and that's a but. That's recognize amazing. that you are
0: not abandoning just a personal yes. relationship; you are abandoning a kingdom, you are abandoning yes. uh, loyalties, you are abandoning family, you are abandoning those kinds All of these ties. Sociological. That's exactly to right. It. Yep. That's exactly a right. A
2: small city of family members. That's okay. right. And that's huge.
0: That's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. Unreal. And so, you, certainly, going to Brazil was part of that. I, I, my the story goes that when my <clears throat> well, when you are when you are on a farm in Montana, like my mom was. You either farm, or you go on the mission field. And so, my my grandfather, when my mom was born, was the second child. He went running down the street to the pastor and said, "I've got a missionary!
1: I've got oh, a missionary!"
0: Wow. And very much uh, from an early age, there was a sense in both my mom and my dad of we we believe we're called. We believe we're called for this mission, ministry. And uh, so that that has been a very solid part of who I am. Um, I would say I'm both. Uh, uh, academic, in terms of you know, aptitudes and training, um, uh, very cerebral. I'm, mm-hmm. my, my parents have have always invested heavily in art in us uh, from an education perspective. International by blood, yes, legacy. You get that very honestly, absolutely. Honestly. Um, and then we can talk about this later. But also, and I think part of my family history, very entrepreneurial. Yes, by yeah, I'll be uh, interested to hear my, where that came from, so to speak. Well, I, I, Mennonite horse traders. Yep. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I mean, I, I really believe that that you know, when you are brought up in a context that is, you know, why go work for somebody else? You know, uh, we have a farm. Go work. Figure go out work how to make hard. this work go and work hard. Yes. And I think that that is very much a part of the the family culture to say, if you're going to go do ministry, go build. Don't, yeah. don't don't go just take a paycheck <laughs> oh God, from somebody. Go build something, and so I think that again. I mean, we'll talk a lot about family on this podcast, but the the uh, recognizing the legacy of local community, multi generational local community, and how that influences and impacts kind of where you're going, kind of from where where you yes. come, is very very much kind of on the sleeve with me. Yeah. In terms of what we do, with our and you, work.
2: of course, you recognize, Nick, what a what a unique thing this is. Your family background and this this small city or village of of people who. Are walking with Jesus to go back as you put it, multi generational, right? I mean, a guy like me who came to faith from a totally non Christian background, and there's hardly an evangelical Christian or, or a committed Jesus loving Christian in any direction in my background. Yeah, it's yeah. just it, my wife is like your family. It's 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 an amazing thing. I mean, I know it's I know it's not all roses, but it's just a remarkable thing.
0: Well, uh, it it it's both the joys are, ma- are magnified and the pain is magnified yeah. when you have Tell, you know, tell us a little bit away. about that. Okay. Well, yeah. when, when you have family members that do abandon, um, it's, it's not that you are, we had a very long conversation at our last family reunion about this actually mm. in Canada because the tendency is to say, you're, you know, because what you want to do is you want to preserve some of the structures. Mm. You know, when, when a, uh, kind of a, an old school Anabaptist looks around at generic evangelical kind of milk toast life and says do we want to be so unidentifiable yeah and so the the tendency is to say yeah well you can't wear plastic buttons on your shirt. I mean, you know, the, the, there are tendencies to create structures. What is our differentiator? Preserve, to differentiate yeah. and then to attach not just an identity marker, but also attach that to soteriology yes. and, uh, you know, identity and those kind of things. Yeah. And so we had a very long family-wide conversation around that because I'm, I'm, I'm no longer uh, Mennonite, for example, mm-hmm. I'm part of a Bible church, not part of the church, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the yep. Mennonite church. And so to be able to have that conversation and say, is it okay to abandon some of these structures and yet recognize the beauty of identity markers yeah. that say, Here, here's who we are and we're, and we're different. Um, and so when people move away from that, intentionally kind of abandon not just the identity markers, but the faith in general, the sense of loss and the sense of pain mm-hmm. that come with that because they're really abandoning an entire identity. Yes. Um, instead of just, yeah, well, you know, that person doesn't really go to church anymore. It's actually that person has abandoned a vision of the of the cosmos mm. and, a, and a vision of kind of creational identity and has turned their back on it. And so I think that the the, the, the pain is also deep in yeah. as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. And um, did you – did you have a time of wrestling with your own faith in that, uh, uh, can I put it this way, kind of fairly intense faith background, growing up on the mission field and, you know, this multi-generational heritage of faith? And that sounds, on the one hand, like a great asset, but it sounds like a lot of pressure too. Was there pressure and did you recoil from it at times or was faith very easy for you? How'd that, how'd that work?
0: You know, I mean, I think we all go through our early college days trying to figure out which side is up. Yes, yeah, From right. um, and indeed with a very very strong identification say theological identification dispensational premillennial i mean these are all mm, very right, hard lines right. that there's is there really christianity outside of these lines we're not sure <laughs> and so very much questioning those kind of identity structures and and as i begin to move into formal academics as i begin to really dig in not just in terms of this is the the rites and rituals that we've been taught but this is this is my own area of study mm-hmm. Um, can I disassociate some of the sectarian denominational lines from the faith? Yeah, from identity. Not Christ easy to do, and not e- easy to do. But I was blessed with parents who very strongly came in and said, "You know, this is not loyalty to the Lord Jesus." Yeah, you know, pre-tribulational rapture is not loyalty to the Lord Jesus.
2: Maybe your personal conviction, but. but absolutely but, true. You know. um,
0: but, but in terms of being uh, uh, part of the kingdom of God and yeah. serving the Lord Jesus and in whom you were baptized, yes. you're not walking away from that. Yeah. And so I think that that was, that was a really significant moment for me mm. to be able to be pushed into an area of study. My dad, on uh, leaving Brazil at two th- in 2000. To um, go to college. To go to college. It was very much a, the Lord bless you, lord keep you oh, we'll see you in four years lovely you know lovely. and so off off i was 70, where did you 17. go i started i i thought i would i thought that i would open up small uh camp uh camps for kids in brazil wow i had yeah. heavily engaged in the christian camping movement yes um and so when you she- had a heart for ministry as a, as a young person. That's right. Right. So you're That's thinking right. I'm going to do ministry, and so and I love the wilderness and I love the rural context and all Marvelous. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I thought I would open up Christian camps in Brazil. And then fell in love with Greek. Fell in love with people. <laughs> uh, fell, fell from in, camping ministry to right. Greek
2: syntax, and
0: it was a it was a big shift. And, and so where were you? At college? I was at Philadelphia Biblical University. Oh, yeah, uh, for okay. my first couple of years, yep, and yep. then got a deep dive on all that stuff. That's there. right. And then really fell in love, and then transferred to Union University. At, oh you know, yeah, George Guthrie, uh, who's Jackson. now at Regent College. That's right, Texas. Sure. George Guthrie uh, through a mutual friend, who's a lovely with me, guy, and just said, uh, "You want to study." Uh, biblical studies and the intersection between Jewish and Christian studies and Christian origins. Oh, marvelous! He got you uh, geeking out on the um, Book of Hebrews that's right, and all Hebrews, this sort of stuff. and then James. Oh, and then That marvelous. really set my trajectory, um, which would continue through to my studies at the University of Oxford.
2: So, t- tell us about. So, you, you're at Union. You're geeking out on Greek and Hebrew. That's right. You, and what what are you what are you making of all this? You're saying, I love all this. What does this mean for me vocationally? Am I still going to go do camping ministry in Brazil, right. or am I? being called to be a pastor right. or an academic? What's going on inside all, of you? And then where all did you of go? these
0: All of these identity questions come to the forefront. Um, always thought I'd marry a Brazilian. Uh, oh. All of my friends are saying, you're not going to marry an American, are you? I mean, all of that kind of stuff. Like, who yes. am I? Uh, totally. Where have I grown up? And, uh, where
2: am I going back layers, to? you have these layers, don't
0: you? Sorry right. You have these layers of your life, right? That's right. That's right. So that cowboy, South arm- Dakota, Nebraska, Montana meets... Brazilian meets academic. And, and really, I mean, if you look at my college pictures, oh. there's this big looming question, who is this dude, <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> who is he? Does he even know he is? And I would say no, mm. because we're, we're trying to find, it's easy when my family in South Dakota, who knows exactly where everybody's been buried and exactly where your parents are and what you're gonna do and what your kids are gonna do, to just kind of say, wow. well, of course this is what we're gonna do. But we blew that up by moving to Brazil. Yeah. And so we have all the theoretical structures of family and loyalty and identity, but none of the tangible yes. kind of Wendell yes. you know, real structures that hold all that stuff together. Yeah. And so- a Saturday
2: afternoon, walk over to absolutely. aunt's house or whatever. And where do you get yeah. your
0: soda pop? You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. that simple kind of structure. And so very much this kind of nostalgia for that kind of local identity. Yeah. And we're going to come back to this because this drives a lot of what we're going to do with education. Mm-hmm. Okay, But this question of, Theoretically valuing social identity and localism, and yet being cosmopolitan, the citizens of the world, floating everywhere, being part of everything, and really not uh, a member of nothing. Wow. Um, and so, in college, very much saying that, wow, what am I going to do? And, and it, as typically it does, it crystallizes around a girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote uh, that's, of the podcast. Right. We're gonna have, um, that is the bumper. <laughs> it, it's it's amazing. It's it's uh, it's the Adam and Eve of you know what am I doing and how am I doing this and oh who's she? Um, yeah, it does have I, a way of grounding. It us. does. And I walk. I walked into university. The first uh, person I saw was this tall blonde ballet dancer on the phone, leaning against the wall of the Commons areas. And I said, "Who is that?" Mm. And there's this kind of a very much a flash of, "This is going to change everything."
2: Wow. Um, is that
0: right? And so uh pursued Laura Lee, my, my eventual wife, for two years. Uh, very much every day wrestling with this. The decision I'm about to make is going to change everything. Yeah. And uh, at the end of that time, she said, you know, I, I think I need to go to Tanzania for a couple of years. Um, and so... She, uh, we had been dating a couple months and she was very serious, but she said, I feel called to the mission field. I need to figure out if it's you or the mission field or both. And you don't sound like you want to go back to the mission field. Um, And so I'm going to go figure this out. So she went to Tanzania. I then went to Tubingen for a bit for German theological studies. I used the opportunity to say, all right, you're going to go do that. Let me, let me figure this stuff out. Um, How do you be a churchman? a very strong, especially college. George Guthrie was great about this. Mark Dubas, some of my mm-hmm. influences at uni were saying, you've got to ground yourself within the church mm. uh, because you've got so many opportunities, so many conversations. If you don't become a churchman, you're mm. going to get lost. That's so um, great. And uh, went to uh, to Tübingen and Stuttgart for a bit for German theological studies. Ended up in in Israel doing Hebrew studies at Hebrew U. Um, was invited to come with Peter Flint, and Marty Yebeg out to Trinity Western in Canada to a Masters in in Dead Sea Scrolls and Jewish and Christian Studies. Yep. So really heavily invested myself.
2: Now we got to hit a
0: pause button on this, Nick.
2: That's so like crazy random, right? You're just like, I'm graduating. I'm 22, 21 years old when you graduate. I think I'm gonna go to tube again and learn <laughs> theological German, and then, and then to, Israel. Over to Israel. to <laughs> Israel. I mean, real quick, right? And I get f- like as a PhD student, but where on earth did you come up with that idea?
0: Well, uh, between my father and George Guthrie and Mark Dubis and some of these other influences, I by the time I graduated, I, I knew that I wanted to do biblical studies.
2: And, and traveling was not scary and intimidating to you. And
1: traveling And well, foreign countries, that, like because, hey, is fun. that as an MK? You're just like, right, as whatever MK, or as a, as Germany, a third, Israel, Canada. Who as cares? a third culture kid. Yeah. Well, more
0: importantly, where am I gonna live? I don't have a home.
1: Wow. I don't
0: have somewhere to just, just go back to and have mom do the laundry. Where's the next place? It's wow. either I'm going to get married and go make a home or we're going to go do something. And so it opened, just blew the doors yes. off. And community, 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 I could either learn German listening to Rosetta Stone in my basement.
2: Or Elf gesprochen with, with the real folk.
0: Dubigan. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> that's a no-brainer. No, no-brainer. And Dubigen's so, a lovely town. That's right. And so to be able to say, no, I want to ground this within reality, especially language culture stuff. Amazing. And so to begin came calling. We said, sure, let's go do this. Um, and uh, and as we began to work through these different questions of how do you do studies in community? How do you learn a language in community? So great. And especially as we begin to see the kind of online educational world come into play, 2001, 2002. Oh, yeah. okay. Suddenly there's these questions of how do I get educated came to the forefront because now for the first time, I didn't actually have to move to Tubigan. I could have done an online course through edX or Coursera, but also very, very convinced through my language studies in Brazil and Portuguese and how I've acquired other languages, there's got to be a better way than just data transfer Yeah, because language, culture, theology – all these things are not just data transfer. That's right. They're culture, community, conversations. Yeah. Kind of that durable, kind of that durable network of, of, of ideas that get embedded, and relationships that get embedded through that through that process of learning. Mm. Um, so, I said, well, if I'm going to do that, let's go to the place of uh, let's, let's let's go to Wittgenstein's home and think about language games and meaning and Marvelous. association. And so that took me to Germany. Um, yep. and then after d- case
2: Western or after Trinity Western,
0: well, Trinity Western, I went, I went after, uh, went Germany, Israel for Hebrew studies, did an ulpan there again, deep dive intensive Marvelous. and then from there went to, uh, went to do, uh, uh Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. with Peter Flint. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that almost took me to old Testament actually. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I'd always been New Testament Jewish studies, but getting to Israel really, Almost took me into full-on Old Testament studies, and the the. How long were you in Israel? I was there for for about six months. It's an amazing yeah. place, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's just incredible, incredible. Um, and uh, so again, context, community, uh, mentorship, uh, fellowship, relationships—that for me is education. Hmm. Um, and Laura Lee came back from Tanzania. We uh, took. Couple years, uh, met Dave Moreland and and Hunter Beaumont out in Denver, helped plant a church, fellowship Denver with them.
2: Nick, how did I not know that about your story? Is that so?
0: So, everybody Mm. in the first fellowship. Is somehow connected to me. That's why crazy. I ended up. <laughs> that's why I ended up at the first fellowship.
2: So Dave Moreland for listeners is one of our CPT fellows, uh, church planter. He did his PhD under John Barclay at Durham. We need to get Dave on the on the podcast, but I didn't.
1: Currently I, pastors
0: in Denver. Pastors still in Denver. pastors that same church. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. uh, just one of the most uh, beautiful, uh, gentle, yeah. uh, kind a men saint you'll ever of meet. A guy. And he very much sucked us into, you know, if you want to be a churchman, be part of a place where you can actually be part of a community. And so again, this whole refrain of, and we never thought we would leave Denver. I mean, uh, in this kind of quest for identity, Mm. moving back to the Mountain West, reconnecting with a lot of the old family roots and connections and cultures. And I said, I'm I'm done, I'm here. I might I, even start I, horse trading. <laughs> exactly. i <laughs> make
2: making honest living. And, and this uh, is
0: still before Oxford? That's right. This was, <laughs> this, was, this, was, uh, this was after my master's studies. And it was very much a time for Laura, Lee, and myself to say, okay, how, what do we want to do together? Let's ground it in. And what were the you church. doing for work at the time? I had been asked to start. Uh, so some old professor friends of mine uh, had tapped me to start a company called Bible Mesh, which was really online education. You know, how do we use technology and these kind of things to really uh, extend the reach of education uh, internationally? And we needed to learn a lot because a lot of these structures didn't exist. You know, Coursera and EdX. and Don't give all us these too much. We're gonna things. have to come back to all Absolutely. this education stuff. In these, a bit, these things didn't exist, and so I was trying to think through what it, if I'm in Brazil, in North Brazil, starting a small community of education, and I'm a pastor. What do I need? I need, you know, between books and resources and accreditation and how do I get access and this world is opening up, this digital online world is opening up, what are the structures that we need to design? And the first piece of that was let's figure out how data works. Mm. And I knew in my mind there's five or six pieces and community was this big, huge question mark looming over it all that we had to come back and think through. And we would we'll get to that later in, in the next section. Um, but we had to figure out data and uh, everything from servers and international e-commerce and banking and all those kind of things. Um, and so while I was planning that, ch- uh, helping Dave, uh, I certainly didn't plan the church; just participating in that church with with Dave. Um, uh, we worked for several years on just this question of, okay, how do you figure this stuff out? Um, and so I was planning that church uh, with Dave in that church plant, living, breathing that community, very much Lauren, Lee, and myself looking at each other. And she got pregnant and saying, well, we could spend, we could spend the rest of our lives here, babe. Uh-huh. This could be incredible. And then through uh, a mutual connection uh, from Regent College and Trinity Western, uh, a guy named Marcus Bachmuel and I entered into contact. He had just moved to Oxford. Wow. And uh, we said, wow, dude, should we finish? Should we finish this uh, this, the, this, this academic studies? And, um, and there were several projects I wanted to work on. And I remember Dave coming to me and saying, I really want you to pray about this. Um, maybe you should go and maybe you should stay. Maybe you should stay um, and uh, because it's hard to come back. Wow. And those are very prophetic words. Yes. Uh, and in, in many ways, leaving a community like Denver and Fellowship Denver, which we thought was going to be our forever community. You may not come back. And we didn't. Yeah. We didn't. We ended up Oxford, Cambridge, Duke, and, and now Dallas to run this company. And so this deep sense of both longing for community, building and investing community, but then also very much the world of it rips you out. It tears you up. It spits you out. It takes you to different things. And how do you constantly fight for that, fight for that local real, not just digital global shell?
2: Give us the kind of the quick summary of your time as a PhD student and what you studied
0: and how the experience was and and yeah, share I mean, that with us. Oxford and Cambridge are special places. Yeah. I would say Oxford is a little more special. <laughs> um, <laughs> Todd, Todd over Don't here would disagree with you. Uh, actually, last we'll week it's been a great conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Last week, Alistair McGrath came by to, uh, Dallas, and we hosted him, and and uh, and had a great conversation. And, and a lot of the conversation was based around what makes the Oxford system special.
2: Yeah,
0: and in his mind, it is the the collegial the college system that that engenders a an ability to have conversations that disagree and then you have to come back and eat with these people. Yeah. You have to come back and eat with these people in college over dinner and find ways of agreeing to disagree and engage in robust sharpening conversations. Yeah. And for me that was very much what Oxford was all about. Coming in and discovering that the University of Oxford is kind of a myth. It doesn't really. There's no buildings. You know yeah. where actually. is it? Where is it? it doesn't <laughs> where is right. this thing? Uh, uh, we had just moved to Oxford and and uh, we were in a little 400 square foot flat. And Laura, had six weeks postpartum, and oh, uh, had my. a was was kind of graciously frustrated at me. And I'm sitting there trying to unpack and in her way, and she says, Nick go to campus. <laughs> <laughs> go do something. Just go do something. <laughs> uh-huh. And so I, I wandered down to the university and after an hour and a half said, where is this place? Yeah. And actually, I see a lot of impressibilities. And I think right. there might be
2: a library, but where that's is right. this where
0: joint? Is and it's a, it's really made up of these constituent, you know, 50, 55 colleges and private Christian halls, which is where, yes, they're all taking the same examination. So there's a standard under which they're operating. But, um, Christ Church or, you know, St. John's with a billion dollars endowment uh-huh. since, you know, 1280 yeah. AD compared with, with its politicians and its lawyers and those yeah. kind of things. Compared to the community of Wycliffe Hall, which is where I was a, a part of the small Anglican Evangelical Training Center, uh, those communities are different. And they have designed and I mean, Alistair McGrath would say organically developed this appreciation of the people that you do your cricket and your lunch and your rugby and your mm. tutorials with is just as important. And don't forget conversations the, over tea and over tea and, and, and port and port, uh, are just as important as the professor that's lecturing at you from the podium. And that was a, a life changing event really, um, over the five years we spent, uh, in, in Oxford, it was a. It was very much reoriented my mind to, as we're thinking about global communities of education and global communities that are seeking to steward and to cultivate the Christian intellectual tradition. As we begin to see that the, the economic pressures that that uh, have caused really havoc within our educational structures, is this a model that can that we can use? Can we go backwards to go mm. forwards? Um, and really triple down on community, oh. um, communities of education, and so Oxford for me was was an incredible time of uh, of study, of investment in in reading, um, in kind of sowing seeds of uh, investigation that would really sustain me for I, I hope my entire life um, in terms of uh, areas of pursuit and areas of investigation, and and deep deep friendships. Um, The people that work for me now within my company, all of them were part of that community uh, where Mm -hmm. we said, we agree on a vision for the formation of souls. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we begin to dig into this and invest in this together?
1: That's marvelous. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to tune in next week for the second part of our conversation with Nick Ellis. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlacher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.